Welcome, welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is your boy, John Richards, a.k.a. J. Rich, and I'm here with the homie, C. Last, Chris Lester. What up, homie? Chill it, man. What's good with you? Man, it's been a long summer, bro. We're like in the middle of August 2018, uh, hopping into August, actually, and we haven't recorded for several weeks because your boy's been busy, man, doing PhD work, so I got to apologize to you, C. Last. Yeah, I do, but like, I'm also super excited for some of the steps you're being able to take. In Stanton, where I live, summer is almost officially over as far as the school year goes. Our kids go back to school on Tuesday. So this was a good chance for me to get a chance to do some other things as well this summer. And I'm hyped to be back with you, bro. I'm glad for all the opportunities you've had. Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir. Been doing some conference season and some PhD work, man. And my son actually goes to school, back to school in a couple of weeks. So we're going to take next week off and just hang out with him just so we can celebrate him and have some vacation time with him. So that should be fun. Um, So, yeah, man, summer's almost over. We're about to hit the fall season. And summer was full of news for us, man. So it was hard picking three topics for this episode. But the culture never sleeps because we know we got three good topics that happened most recently, right, Um, that we're going to address on this episode. First of all, we got to go here, okay, because we know that I love my San Antonio Spurs, right? And something right, we do know that something huge happened over the summer, and we haven't been able to kind of process it together, okay? But I did say this on a previous podcast, okay? I want you to know that I am officially Negro Domus, right? I predict things. (laughs) I'm weak already. (laughs) And I said, if look, if we're going to trade Kawhi anywhere, it has to be Denver or Toronto, then I would be okay with that. And lo and behold. What happened? My man got traded to the Toronto Raptors. Greg Popovich was like, bruh, I know you want to go to the Lakers, but guess what? We're going to send you to the furthest NBA destination from Los Angeles, Toronto, Canada. How much more petty can you be than that? They almost sent my man to the EuroLeague. I said, (laughs) golly. For anybody listening uh, who, who doesn't know this, Kawhi has been traded to the Toronto Raptors for my man, De- DeMar DeRozan, and Danny Green went over to the Raptors as well in the trade. So uh, we got to talk about this and process this together, see last, because I have an opinion on how good the trade was for either side. And hopefully, I think you're on my side on this, uh, but I'm not sure because most people think that it was a good trade for the Spurs, but not necessarily the Raptors. But there are some folks out there who are representing the six who feel like this is a great trade for the Raptors. So give me your quick analysis, man. How does this help or hurt Toronto? And how how does this help or hurt San Antonio? I don't know, man. Like the Raptors for me is a to be continued. I got to see the beginning of their 2019, 2020 roster before I could tell you if it's a win, because if this is setting up something where at the trade deadline, they move them again and get what would have been better value for DeRozan then everybody won in this trade. If Kawhi is a Laker at the start of the 2019-20 season, then you can't look at that like it was a gamble that they lost on. It's a huge gamble, and there's two ways they could win and one way they could lose. They could make a trade, get all the pieces. The young Lakers back in their franchise, that's a win. Kawhi resigns, that's a win. Or he walks, and that's a, that's a huge gamble and a loss. 
So that's how I see it. The other funny thing is uh, that Danny Green has been mentioned in every single Spurs trade for the last five years. Like every single one has had Danny Green. Like how is he just now getting traded after being offered to teams 32 times? It finally happened, right? Here's, here's the thing for me. I think the Lakers are now officially in chill mode. Like they're going to fill the stands next year with LeBron. And next summer, they won't have to give up not one piece to get Kawhi on their squad. So I'm not sure why they would trade for him in the fall or even in February when they can just bide their time, allow LeBron to kind of shape culture, and then have Kawhi come in next summer, next fall, and allow LeBron to kind of shape things around there first. I think that would be Paul a George. smart thing for me. That's the reason why they would. Oh, right, right. Paul George said, hey, I'm going to the Lakers. And then he took a one-year off in a smaller city and said, actually, this small city is good with me. I'm staying. So, so my he had a little party with Russ on the stage <laughs> where we're in an outfit only Russ could pull off. And now he's a thunder. And so yeah. I don't think you take that risk twice. I get it. I get it. But I think that comparing Sam Presti in OKC with Toronto um, is probably not a good comp. You know what I mean? So Presti and his squad have this kind of track record of when when your boy came over man pg came over it was like straight red carpet like he felt like that was his city we got one picture with Kawhi with a smize a fake smile <laughs> with an <laughs> owner like we didn't really see like red carpet treatment right so so he's like in this bitter space i don't think pg was in that big of a bitter spot as Kawhi is so i wouldn't take the risk if I was the Lakers. I mean, they got a great young court. You see what Josh Hart did this summer? Josh Hart from Villanova, the homie, the guy I wanted the Spurs to draft. He's stepping his game up, man. He's taking that next step. I would not trade any of those guys now unless it's Lonzo Ball, and you know how I feel about Lonzo. But, but I, the Lakers don't have a track record of developing, the, developing their draft picks. They have a track record of building through free agency and trades. This is true. This is true. But I don't understand why they would do that with such a good young core players if Kawhi has already said that he's going to Los Angeles. But like you said, I think it's kind of a wait and see now to see how things pan out. As far as the Spurs, I think DeRozan could actually be, especially if he plays with a chip on his shoulder, he's already talking chip material now. Like he's saying that all day long in his interviews. He's like, y'all not ready for 2018, 2019 DeMar DeRozan. And I'm like, yes, that's the one I want, the one who's angry, upset, and who's going to own the league. Now he has to get a jump shot. But until then, he can do what he always has been doing. which is He has a great mid-range jumper, though. Yeah, he does. But that tray ball looks terrible. <laughs> He's like, 30, <laughs> low 30% is not good. But here's the thing, Pop, the same thing with Kawhi when he came to the Spurs. He was shooting low 30s from three. And they worked with him, developed him for a couple of years, and he was just money from three land. So, so I think at this point, the DeRozan's gotten over his initial Instagram rant, right? We talked about that. I called you the same day it happened. Drake helped him through it. <laughs> and he's like in a good place now, laughing at Pop at Team USA Practices, doing an interview with the undefeated, talking about how much this is a great opportunity for him. I'm excited about 
what he can do in San Antonio. And now we're past all the drama, bro. Past all the drama. No more drama in San Antonio. And we got him for at least two to three years. I'm really excited about what's going to happen this season. But let me tell you, ESPN just released some rankings, and they don't they ain't put no respect on our name, man. <laughs> like 11th in the, in the West. Like, what? How, do we, Yo, how does that happen? That's not even a chance. But you know what? Like, drama in San Antonio doesn't even sound right. It's like being at your school, and then you see this commotion in the cafeteria. And it's like the valedictorian and the salutatorian are in a fist fight at the lunch table. Like it just doesn't even <laughs> feel right. So, um, exactly. yeah, that, I mean, that's just, I don't know, man. So I'm excited to see what happens, but they're definitely one of the best six teams in the West. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of drama at the table, we got to touch on this, right? Because it's been all over the Twitterverse and the social media streets this week, this week at the white house in Washington, DC. A group of, and here's my quote, okay, black urban pastors met with the president to uh, essentially discuss, I think, prison reform, um, unemployment rates, and other things that have impacted the African-American community. Uh, there was a group of dozens or, a dozen or so pastors at that meeting. And after I listened to at least, it was about 20 or so minutes of conversation even though it wasn't conversation i had to say something man see last i had to because i felt like uh, the black church was misrepresented in some ways and this not a personal knock against any of the pastors present because i think some of them may have gone with good intentions but i think that when they showed up they kind of realized that the meeting wasn't about what they thought it was about and everybody kind of fell in line so I had a couple of complaints about the meeting, but I just want to hear from you, man, because I know you have some colleagues who may have had a different perspective from what I had. So I like to kind of hear different perspectives and, and process those so that I'm not kind of speaking in a echo chamber with myself. So, so tell me about the homie, man, what the, what the other perspective is. And we'll, we'll put a link to my thread on Twitter and Facebook in the show notes to show what I said, but tell me about the homie. Oh yeah. So I got a cousin, um, my cousin Terrence. And, uh, I think, uh, the one thing, um, like I really appreciate about him. He pastors a church, uh, in, in our community. And one thing I always have appreciated about him is, um, he just doesn't seem to get caught up, um, in politics in a way that, ever compromises his faith. Like it's always Christ is the king. And um, I'm not, I'm not falling for a donkey or an elephant. It's always a cross. So he had posted an article and I was just kind of like chewing through that and saying like, like these black church leaders are pushing back saying, Hey, like we're trying to move our communities for us. And like, you guys are hamstringing us. If you ever, if you always, every time we meet with the president, the person who we're appealing to, by saying like, we're Uncle Tom's, we're sellouts, we're this, we're that. Like we're trying to get something moved here. And this is the person, whether you like him or not, we have to deal with to get this moved. And like the name calling and all that stuff just isn't helping. So um, I wasn't thorough in the article. So um, this was just something, as we were talking, I was like, hey, I saw what you put, this is what my cousin put. They're just interesting to read 
side by side. But um, I definitely think that you had some important points to share with to share with the people. Yeah, here's a couple of things that I'll just kind of draw from that because uh, I definitely understand what he's saying. But my my issue with being at the table in those circumstances is really all about optics. And I, I did send you a text message about that, about the way things looked and the way they yeah. sounded. Um, that really, really was bothersome for me. So first, first of all, uh, there was no substantive conversation around prison reform or unemployment that was shown on video. Now, maybe they did stay after and have some conversations about that. But what the public saw was just a group of pastors uh, giving the president props for some of the things that he's done around prison reform, which a lot of people watching wouldn't even know what those things are. Like there, there's some legislation in the works that's happening right now to work towards prison reform, but there was nothing substantive that came out of that conversation. And historically, black folks have been, black pastors have been more of a prophetic voice in the room, um, having that conversation, actually pointing out certain issues that need to be focused on by the administration. Now, I don't think any of that happened. A lot of the times when we see these types of meetings, especially over the past couple of years or so, uh, the only thing that we do see is basically someone giving accolades to the progress, as opposed to talking through some of the things that may be community concerns that they're coming from. And to articulate these folks as urban pastors, I felt like that was a misnomer just because a lot of the pastors were suburbanites. And people who weren't in urban areas steeped in the hood. And, you know, both of us kind of love and have a passion for the hood. I don't live in the urban context. I wouldn't call myself an urban prophetic voice. Um, so I wouldn't go to a meeting that touted someone being urban if I was not urban. So that's just a couple of issues that I had. And I, I just hope that, that folks wouldn't think that I was making any ad hominem attacks on anyone it was more so what I felt like was the optics of the situation and what was happening. And, and what, we, what we are hoping, like I think what everyone's hoping that it's not is like, and, and I think one of the things that you hit on was, hey, this would, be, this would be a problem no matter who was president, but just like the PR team saying, hey, uh, like we need to show you in front of more black people and saying like, hey, we don't really wanna have a conversation that's substantive. We need this photo op, we need this video op, we need something to be able to put in front of people. Um, when people of color like raise these concerns about your presidency, we need to be able to respond with a picture that says, would a racist president do X, Y, or Z, and then be able to post this optic, right? So I think that was one of, um, one of the main concerns and then also um the labeling is important right like um if you said um pastors of color that are in a room that's certainly true but um not everybody is doing urban ministry just because you're a person of color right so um those are just like little distinctions that we're just pointing out yeah, yeah. And I hope people kind of hear our heart on that. Both of us kind of come from a place of love. And we both love the Black church. We love the historically Black church. We also love multi-ethnic, multicultural ministry. But there's a special place for, you know, the Black church and, and how we have historically 
uh, been at the table or seen ourselves to be part of that conversation. And it just seemed like this week we weren't necessarily part of the conversation. Uh, we were part of a visual effect that kind of yeah. moved people towards seeing black folks being uh, impacted positively by an administration. And that was the <laughs> sucky part. Yeah. And so I was just thinking like, uh, I mean, both of us were raised in the black church, so we could give you a list and say like, all right, now, if these things are true, like if you had <laughs> fifth, if you had fifth Sunday fried chicken and a million people came to your church that didn't normally come, uh, then that then you are participating in urban ministry at this time. If you exactly. had a deaconess committee that were all white, then you you were participating. So I mean, we can roll out the list. Right, you know, right, you know, right. If your pastor closed four times during a sermon. <laughs> definitely are in an urban context. Right. That's all I'm saying. That's all. If everyone else was ready to go except for that one lady who says, don't worry about the time, Pastor, uh, then you were. Got to love call and response ministry, man. Got to love yeah. it. Got to yeah. love it. So if your organ player knew right when to start at the close of the sermon. <laughs> Obviously, we're doing caricatures, right? But that is like, that's our culture, man. We, we love it. And, and we're we thankful love, for being raised in it. Yeah, we love the expressive nature of it and certainly have that heart for, for the Black church and am grateful for the work that many, many pastors are doing who aren't sitting at tables like that, who don't go noticed each day doing work in the city. Speaking of the city, right? Um, we had a theological, we always do kind of a, a sports culture and a theology session. And we thought it might be good to kind of roll into this topic of seeking the peace or the shalom of the city. Yeah. So um, the full context is shout out to our man, LeBron. Um, this week he started a school, like an actual school. And this is so cool. It's like this childhood LeBron makes himself a promise. If I ever get money, like kids aren't going to grow up like I grew up. And very thoughtfully planned out this school and how he wanted it to run. Um, and it's just this amazing project. It's connected with the University of Akron. These kids will have a chance to go to school. They have longer school days. Each kid gets a bike because that was LeBron's form of escape when he was younger, just to be able to ride past situations that were harmful. Um, I saw the kids, I think they were getting to design their own colorway of LeBron shoes at school, um, just incorporating um, technology and STEM projects into their schooling. And we're all super proud. Um, and we, we would very much disagree with any attack that would call LeBron stupid. Um, he's very intelligent and we're, we're excited to see him participating in education, right? Um, but we also know like, hey, this just isn't LeBron's responsibility. This is the responsibility of the church. And we get this picture in Jeremiah as the people are exiled. They're going to be there for a while. And God's saying like, hey, you're going to have to make this home. And this isn't, this isn't just the place where like you are the covenant community of God. You're going to be surrounded in a place that doesn't feel like home. But seek the flourishing of this place. So in the New Testament language, when Peter calls us exiles, we know. Like we're not to call this home, but we're to seek the flourishing of this place. So 
that call to rebuild the city and to make sure it flourishes just doesn't fall on LeBron's responsibility on his broad shoulders, but it falls on the church. And so I thought this would be a good time to talk about, hey, we believe in the gospel. What does it look like to flesh this out in terms of community? Yeah. And here's the thing. If it's just because it's not home, don't mean you, you don't take care of it. Right. Like I don't go to anybody else's house <laughs> or in anybody else's house. And I was trained this way. Like my mom is like, hey, I always respect other people's property. Not only respect other people's property, but be good stewards and steward it. Uh, so even if we have the exile alien mentality in terms of, hey, this isn't our home. Uh, we are waiting for the consummation of God's kingdom. We still have a responsibility to seek the shalom of the city, uh, as both of us know, Jeremiah 29 and 7 says. So here's the thing, though. I think I may have mentioned this before. Like, here's the question that a lot of churches need to ask themselves. If our church shut down today and left the city, what type of impact would it have on the city? And I think that's one of the things that LeBron showed us, right? Uh, we talked about Akron lamenting when LeBron left but he still brought back this I promise school that was going to send all these students through school with scholarship opportunities. So even though they lamented, he practically sought the peace of the city. Uh, so for church leaders and pastors and leaders, again, like you said, this isn't LeBron's responsibility. It is our responsibility to seek the peace of the city. So you need to think through if we shut down today, what type of impact socially? What type of impact spiritually would it have on the city? And if you can't answer that question in a positive way, then you might want to rethink how you're seeking the peace of the city in which you live and do ministry. Right. So um, just as one example, I'll shout out my wife. And um, yeah, today's our 17th wedding anniversary. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Um, So one of the things she did was she organized this school um, drive and she had this school. She helped people created a space where they say, Hey, the school needs these books where my daughter goes to school. Um, it has a reputation of being like uh, the worst of the elementary schools in our community. Um, but she was like, Hey, we're going to be invested in this school. And she ordered all these books and then had people come and take their lunch break and come and read to the kids as part of their reading assignments, but made sure that that list was a diverse group that included lots of people of color that looked like the students that were in the school that were in professional roles coming in and saying like, hey, we're investing back in our school. We don't have LeBron type money, but that is something that we can do. We can gather people. That is a resource we have. We have good relationships with our community. So we can gather in people. People, let's say if the Lassiters are in, we'll get in, we'll help, we'll come read. We believe in the schools. And that was just an amazing project that my wife undertook. So, I mean, that's just like one little example of what that may look like is to seek the peace. Like, hey, this school, um, if they're saying like, this school needs extra help, like we'll come in below the scenes, right? Like behind the scenes and um, do what we can to contribute to the flourishing of that school. That's good, man. That's good. So, yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's an approach that each one of us as believers need to kind of think through, not only corporately, but also personally. I'm looking for ways in which we can serve in the community in which we, we live. And, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I commend you, Chris, for some of the things that you're doing in Stanton. I think you're always looking for 
for ways to put that Jeremiah 29, seven into practice and put flesh on, on that verse. So man, I'm grateful, grateful for some of the things that you're doing, doing in Stanton. We're trying, man. All gravy, man. All right. So we always like to share some of the things that we're reading or listening to. Listen, I'm going to be honest. A lot of mine is going to be PhD heavy because that's all I'm reading these days. Uh, So I'll try to pick some of the practical stuff for folks. One of the books that I've been reading lately uh, is How to Write a Sentence and How to Read One by Stanley Fish. It is a great book on putting together your thoughts um, coherently. Uh, It's a great book for anyone who's an aspiring writer, whether it be academic or whether it be any other literary endeavor. So I would commend that book to anyone. It was part of our program and we read through it and I loved it. I enjoyed it. What about you, Silas? What you been reading and listening to lately? So um, right now I'm in a book called, let me make sure I'm quoting this right, but I'm pretty sure it's called The Soul of Shame. Um, Like where does shame come from? And it's written by a Christian counselor and it just talks about like what happens in your body neurologically when you feel shame and how the gospel speaks to it. And it's an audio book, so I don't have the author's name right in front of me because I'm not actually holding the book. I call this um, my pancake seminary because I usually listen to the audio book while I'm making the kids breakfast or something and just have it on. And so um, kids, when y'all broke my headphones today, I forgive you. Um, (laughs) Shut down the seminary for (laughs) today. I let one of my daughters borrow the headphones and uh, the other ones were trying to pull it off her head as a, as a joke and they cracked in half. But uh, there is much grace here in the Lasseter home for that. So. You, can't, you can't mess up the pancake seminary ministry. Come on, kiddos. What's going it just means on with that? <laughs> the author's name is Kurt Thompson, by the way. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. No doubt. No doubt, man. All right, closing shout outs, man. What you got? Uh, so just hearing John Perkins um, in ministry kind of really shaped the framework and direction of how I lived my life, where I chose to live as a neighborhood, what kind of ministry I would do. So I always want to shout out to John Perkins, even though my first shout out has to go to my wife because it's our anniversary. Got to give that 17 year shout out, man. 17 years. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, congratulations to you guys. My closing shout out is going to go to my niece, uh, Jalisa. I think I may have mentioned before on a podcast episode that her and her husband lost a child um, a couple of years back. Well, she just gave birth to a beautiful baby girl uh, this week. Uh, Completely grateful for uh, she had to go in for an emergency surgery. So she was really nervous. Uh, Sent me a text asking to pray. Uh, Family was praying for her. And the uh, baby was born healthy, uh, mama's healthy, and now they are parents of a beautiful baby girl. So grateful for that. Shout out to Jaleesa and Howard, my niece. I am now a great uncle four times over. Talk about feeling old, bro. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait till you get your doctorate and then we can call you the great uncle doctor. We'll come up with something funny. Something, something, bro. <laughs> Yeah. So. All right, folks, that's been episode number 61 of the Boxing One podcast. So good to be back, man, at the end of the summer. Looking forward to connecting with the homie C last a little bit more. Speaking of connecting, make sure you guys go over to Twitter and Facebook at Boxing One Podcast. Join our group. Give us a follow. Give us some likes. 
Also, check out the podcast on iTunes and give us a rating and review. Helps with some of the, I guess, analytics that they do in terms of moving podcasts up and down. I don't know how that works. Also, boxingonepodcast.com is our website. All of our podcasts are up on there. Grateful for you guys for listening, for tracking with us, and for being patient with us this summer. But we're back, and I feel so good. Thanks, Chris Lassiter. I appreciate you, man, for all you do, see last and grateful. All right. Did you too, bro. I'm excited about the journey you're on. Amen, man. Amen. All right. Grace and peace to you all.